0: Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. I am, as always, your host, Doug Winters. Today is episode 76, and I could not be more delighted than to bring you my very special guest, Brian Raffinelli. He's an internationally known event planner, raconteur, philosopher, and all-around great guy. So sit back and relax and listen to things like his favorite question to ask every client, which is, what is your favorite party scene in a movie? And you're about to find out. I truly hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. The guy's amazing. So without further ado, here are me and Brian. Brian Raffinelli. Hi. How you doing? Doing well, how are you? Good, this is exciting, a genuine living legend. (laughs) (laughs) Truly, I mean, like you're like the man. Uh, As a matter of fact, you're the man of the moment, according to Town and Country.
1: Well, that was a long time ago, Doug. That was 10 years ago, the year I did Chelsea Clinton's wedding.
0: Right, which we have to talk about. But (laughs) but you have a book out called A Great Party, Designing the Perfect Celebration. I have a million things to ask you. You have a great website, by the way. You feature four parties, one in Istanbul, one at Fenway. Right. One with Elton John in New York. It looks like Town Hall.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's at the Armory, actually. Ah,
0: okay. And a in wedding here. in Saratoga, Wyoming. Mm. Where'd you find that location?
1: It was a client wanted to go to a ranch, and there just aren't that many ranches, right, that are kind of five-star. So I, like, literally went and looked at, like, seven of them. And, and actually, at the same time, Doug, I had, like, three other clients within a year looking for ranches. So I, I was able to do some really good research and landed on Brush Creek Ranch, which by the way, is one of my favorite places in the world. You know, it's just a perfect, perfect, perfect place to um, either get married or have a birthday or, you know, or God knows after this pandemic to go and celebrate with your friends, you know, do a bio, uh, so.
0: Do we, yeah, do we even get into that? <laughs> do, we get <laughs> we into, do we get into the debate tonight?
1: Uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> I know that you're heavily involved in democratic politics.
1: I I like to say democracy.
0: Democracy. (laughs) Yeah, I did parties for 10 years for People for the American Way. Do you know that organization? Sure, of course. What I didn't know, that the person running it was a woman named Bobby Handman, whose Mm. husband, Wynne Handman, was a world-famous acting coach. All of this I did not know. I just knew her as this really lovely, incredibly nice lady. She's the one that convinced Paul Newman to work for Eugene McCarthy in 1968. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, God, I have so much to talk to you about. Now I haven't done the party in 10 years. so. But the one that got me was Obama's White House state dinners. And here's what I know about state dinners. That one scene in The American President <laughs> with Michael Douglas and Ned Benning walking down the steps into this magnificent. Do they even have state dinners in the Trump presidency?
1: They have had two state dinners, but when you measure that against the Obamas or the Bushes or the Clintons, I mean, you know, they had 20 or I think Bush had almost 30. It, they just haven't had state dinners, but I, I think there's a reason for that.
0: I'd love you to talk about how you get that first job doing a White House state mm. dinner. I, I can only picture the queen in England or the royal family, The royal, you know, where there's such protocols. You're supposed to call her mum. You're not supposed to talk to her before she talks to you
1: or right there are several books on protocols and i recommend one that is called protocol that uh Carisha marshall just came out with about eight weeks ago um and she was the chief of protocol when i was doing the majority of those state dinners i did seven state dinners so so doug it's it's actually for your listeners it's it's pretty straightforward it's sort of a philosophy of life i ended up getting a state dinner because of my relationships and my reputation mm mm-hmm. Which is, I think, how people get business, no matter what anybody says. And I do know lots of my colleagues that I adore, by the way. You know, they get million-dollar weddings off of Instagram. That is not really mine. Okay? Not that I haven't actually received events off of Instagram, but um, that, that was just a compliment to my relationships and my reputation. And so I ended up at the White House because... 25 years ago, I did a party for a couple who knew the Clintons and were big supporters of the Clintons in both administrations, slept in the Lincoln bedroom. And over time, I ended up doing all sorts of gatherings and the Clintons would be at their parties and or my client would be throwing political events for them. And so I became, you know, not a household name, but I think because the Clintons trusted my client, they then, you know, referred me When Chelsea got engaged and then Chelsea had this wedding that apparently everybody was really curious about so you know in democratic circles it became a thing
0: which is really fascinating because she has such a low-key yes
1: you're right right and if you were to ask the president or the secretary about that wedding It's in the press. They've talked about this before. That they were just so surprised at how America was so intrigued by their daughter's wedding. Yeah,
0: Um, I I remember being fascinated at the time because I think we we spoke about it. The guy who did the music for you, which thanks a lot. (laughs) It would have been nice to have the gig, you know. Then next
1: time, next time.
0: (laughs) Then you would have loved
1: it. Kelsey has a daughter, so we just have to. We both have to wait it out about twenty-five years.
0: Okay, I could do that.
1: And there's also Sasha and Malia.
0: (laughs) That would be incredible. (laughs)
1: they called me up uh they were like oh we'd like you to you know come and sit down with us i i went out to from new york city with mark and chelsea um to their parents house in chappaqua and we literally stood in the kitchen around an island with cheese and crackers and talked about their wedding and the rest is history i don't necessarily think it's a secret sauce again i think your listeners could think about this i come from a family of lawyers right so i always grew up with you know, my father and my mother and my brother and my sister always talking about the cases that were in front of them. They're all lawyers? Yeah. And so they would make, they would talk about the cases. But when you're trying something, right, you're laying out a case, you're, you're saying, okay, this is my evidence. This is why we're going to win or why we're not going to win. So I actually apply it to my business all the time when my staff's presenting to me. I'm like, I want you to make a case. Like if you really believe in something, if you really want to, to use a, a, an amazing supplier, or you really want to push a certain venue. I want to know why. I'm always curious about why. I think if you read a little bit about me, I'm not a trend guy. I'm really, our, our events are reflections of our clients, and if our clients get married in Istanbul, it's because they want to get married there. It's not because Istanbul suddenly became a trendy place to get married, or if my clients want to get married at Brush Creek Ranch, Again, it's not because that's, that's friends, yes. So it's it's really because client said we want to get married in a place that all our guests can stay at on a, on a spectacular ranch with all the amenities, with individual cabins, with beautiful views of the mountain, super exclusive. <laughs> you know, like so they're laying out what they want. I'm listening to that. How many guests would be at that party? 180.
0: Okay. Well, you know what? Let's start from the beginning because you have this fascinating eclectic world.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't have a straight path. You know, when I'm talking to young people now that are so certain that, you know, if they come to Raffinelli, that's their dream job and they're 23 years old and they just came out of Boston University or NYU with a special events major, I'm like, wait a minute, this just cannot be your dream (laughs) job. But (laughs) if you have a great experience, right, which I hope they all do, that will bring them to somewhere else. And that could be in events or it could not. I didn't start in events, I started in retail, while I was in retail, I, I started volunteering for a nonprofit and started planning events because that's what they needed their volunteers to do. And I fell in love with it. Like I fell in love with every part of it. and and when people ask me how to get into the business, I'll often say either through politics or nonprofit because they're 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 desperate for volunteers to help them with events and help them plan events you get to do everything. So I did graphic design. I did sponsorship. We built opening ceremonies for walks and dance and aerobathons. And we learned how to produce an event on the back of a nonprofit. <laughs> right. And I happened to be very good at it and very successful at it because I loved it. I loved doing well and doing good and being creative. That's what I always wanted to do. And I never, you know, back in the 80s, there was no special events major. I went to Syracuse University. There was no special events major. My niece just graduated from Michigan State, and she was a hospitality major with a minor in special events. And what falls in, in inside that, which is kind of sexy, is like sports marketing, and you know. So, so there's some cool stuff inside it.
0: I noticed on your website, it says weddings, nonprofits.
1: Right. Because I come out of nonprofit, by the way. It's not just making a beautiful party for a nonprofit. My product is all about being strategic about it. If you're going to throw a party for a nonprofit and spend the money, then what's the return on investment? Uh, that's something that was always uh, built in because when I first was a volunteer and we used to do what we called artistic successes i mean they, they were great ideas they were fun but they weren't raising any money for the nonprofit. I, I i you know that didn't feel good to me oh
0: so they come out with great pictures yeah
1: right so we and it was exciting and the volunteers were empowered and it's not as though the contributors didn't have a good time it was just that we needed to figure out how you could make more money and that was important because that's why they were doing it same thing with a company a corporation that's the reason they're doing it now some of the events that i do for corporations are just to thank their employees, to praise them, you know, their affinity events of like, you raised the most money this year, and so we want to thank you on um, that, that. But that still is a cultural thing with inside a company, right? And so there is a return on investment. If, if they feel gratitude from the CEO and from the, the senior team of the company, mm-hmm. they're going to work harder.
0: Yeah. There was one thing I wanted to ask you about your website, and then I'm going to leave your website alone. Mm-hmm. The first thing that you see is, what is you? Since I've been studying <laughs> studying you, I know what you look like, you know, trim, you know, athletic physique, but you only see like from the torso to the waist. And then if you go down, you see you smiling with that famous smile that everyone sees. And here's what I read into that. You were saying, yes, it's going to be a Raffinelli event, but it's not my party. It's your party. Yes, you have the elegance. You have the bespoke suit and perfect tie because that's what I project. That's what I'm going to help you project about your event.
1: That's exactly what it is. I mean, my sort of line of lines, whether I'm doing a capabilities presentation to a new client or it's in in my book, I write about it. Actually, I probably say it three times. Like, this is not my wedding. This is your wedding. I'm not that guy that you come to and I'm like, you will have a wedding that looks like this. Um, I want the wedding to be a reflection of you. So as much as my name is on the door and I appreciate you saying I have a nice smile, but it's really not about me, right? It's about you. What you buy is intellectual property, 25 years of experience, strategic thinking, a level of style, and certainly a level of service. We will bring that to the table and it's hard for us not to do a good job, right? (laughs) But at the end of the day, the event is your event. And so it absolutely has to be a reflection of you. And by the way, it's my job to figure that out. I mean, my clients don't walk in the door and say, I want to have a, whatever, a, a, a Winter Wonderland theme party. They usually don't do that. They'll start talking about you know what they'd like it to feel like. Um, what? What's? I often say, "What's your favorite party scene in a movie?" Or "What's the best party you've ever gone to in the last five years?" And tell me why. And what was the worst party you've ever gone to? And so I can sort of begin to understand what turns them on, what they're drawn to, what they don't like. You know, I think you probably know this really well. In music, I think the best way to go at music is to find out what clients don't want to hear. That will help you understand what they do want to hear without them even knowing. And that's really what I try to do it's interesting with my staff right like I have a a nice healthy staff and fairly young people their heart's in the right place but sometimes they'll have an expectation the client knows exactly what they want and they don't much like like how much does a wedding cost or you know people don't know that we know that because we I get married 10 times a year so I can tell you what a 200 person wedding is going to cost at brush Creek ranch in Wyoming I can tell you that but I have no expectations that people really completely understand what it costs, how to get there, what's what is the the plan between the day they meet us to the day after the the project. We really have to lay that out, you know, to them without overwhelming them. Look, my niche is working for really successful people who have really complicated lives, right? So they don't, you know, they want to enjoy every minute of planning their event, whether that's winning the Super Bowl and having a ring ceremony or um, doing a state dinner. They want to enjoy it, but they don't have a lot of time to do it. Like when I presented to the first lady for Christmas at the White House, they bought two years in a row. You think about the White House, the East Wing, the West Wing, the private residence, the main house. Um, we had like over 125 Christmas trees in the house. And I had 22 minutes to present that to Michelle Obama. <laughs> 22 minutes, by the way. I set it up three-dimensionally on all, you know, I had an eight-foot table for every main room. We had ornaments. We had renderings. Wherever I could give her an example, I wanted to. But she loved it. It was exciting. Everybody loved it. You know, the social office loved it. The first Lady staff loved it. It was It was like an event. We did this in July, by the way, for December, you know, Christmas. So we, that, that I, was
0: an audition?
1: Well, no, it wasn't an audition. I had the had. Oh, the you job. had the job. But it was really like, this is how much time we had to say, you know, people have limited amount of time. So you have to make a case. Right? <laughs> right? To, this is how I think it should go. Here's some choices for you. So you feel like you're in control um, and you are in control, but you don't want to make all the choices. You don't want, you know, your clients don't want to know what every song is.
0: That's a perfect analogy. They they always say that. And they say, I say, listen, you know, we're talking about in a four hour party, You're probably talking... If three minutes a song in between courses, I guess you're doing 50 songs in a night. You don't want to program yeah, it.
1: Right. Now, I have some clients who would want to go through with you and know all those 50 songs, but I'll say a good band leader is actually, he's got to pivot. He or she has to pivot when things aren't going the way we thought they oh, were going go. thank you. <laughs> if energy goes up or it comes down or the father of the wife's speech is too long or they, you know, somebody gets in a fight or... You know, like you have to pivot to bring the energy back, right? Yeah. So you can't follow 50 songs in a row, but you could say, look, we're going to, you know, we're going to start out with some amazing jazz and people are going to be tapping their foot and then we're going to bring them up and then we're going <laughs> to- Yeah, exactly. So I get it. I know how it works, but I don't, I don't believe a client wants to know all of that, but they want to, they want to understand that you heard them, they can trust you mm-hmm. and they're not going to hear a song they don't like.
0: Right. Yeah, I, I send a very detailed questionnaire so that I could find out answers without having to ask them. So, father-daughter dance. Now you find out in many cases, there were two fathers, there are no fathers. I was raised by two mothers. Uh, my father just died, you know, six months ago.
1: Honestly, Doug, I find like that's a minefield. It's a mine. Yeah. Because yeah. you don't really know. Right. But, you know, I always hesitate when I'm like, so... Uh, or, or if I read something, you know, you can read all about your clients, right? So if I read something and find out the bride doesn't have a good relationship with her father. So, so when you're saying to the groom, oh, well, you'll dance with your mother. Oh, and you'll dance with <laughs> your sister. Um, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's a funny moment where they're like, oh, I'm not dancing with my father. I'm like, okay, great. Um, you, don't, that, you don't have to dance with your father. You know? right. Uh, right. You got, you know, so it's not as black and white as it used to be. Not traditional and there are no rules like that's a fact i love that like i'm in this business for the change
0: yeah the me too of, i love it i love maybe. it when I, things change
1: i don't want to do the same thing every single time because i would, I would go crazy yeah
0: it would be boring it wouldn't last 10 years
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> i can't think of anybody in the business and and i'm friends with you know 25 amazing producers from around the country and nobody is the same year to year they 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 pivot they change of you course know, they have a certain style maybe but they they change because their clients
0: change all right so can i just go back to this thing since you said movies you referred to you know sometimes you'll say what's your favorite what your
1: favorite party scene in a movie yeah sure
0: is that scene in the american president pretty accurate
1: well no because um uh, for different reasons it's actually accurate if you think about the clintons and the reagan's state dinners used to be smaller just to clarify a few things so in the East Room, you can see 236 people for dinner, right? But if you have a 500-person state dinner, you cannot do it in the house. You build a tent on the South Lawn, And so that's become a little bit more where you're going, and, and, I, and it makes more sense. Like, there's so many people that you could invite to a state dinner, and, and so therefore it limits you if you have these tiny little state dinners. But getting back to the scene in An American President, They were in the Great Hall of the White House, like John Travolta dancing with Princess Diana, right? In the Great Hall right there. But that doesn't really happen anymore. I mean, the Obamas didn't have dancing. They never had dancing.
0: No kidding.
1: Never had dancing. They always had beautiful dinners, followed by some kind of amazing performance. You know, that John Legend. um,
0: Didn't Earth, Wind & Fire play that Earth,
1: Wind & Fire, yeah, Yeah. Uh, Mary J. Blige, amazing. Uh, Janelle Monet. Oh, all of my favorites. For for my first State Dinner, it was all the jazz greats. Oh my God, it was so great. Herbie Hancock and Chris Bodie and Diane Reeves.
0: Chris Bodie was my first trumpet player. Oh my God. I gave Chris Bodie his first job. He came in, played about six notes of My Funny Valentine. I said, come here, Youngster, so sit next to me. <laughs> he this... Over here. <laughs> I think he's like the number one selling jazz artist in the world.
1: I think so. So the state dinners are a reflection of the family that lives in the house, right? The president and the first lady. And so it, it's really up to them. It's their personality. The Bushes, Laura and George Bush used to love to do smaller state dinners. So they would do them in the state dining room. They just preferred that.
0: The one that can hold like 126 people?
1: Oh no, the East Room can hold 236. 236. The State Dining Room can only hold maybe 120, 130. So they respond.
0: So you know the White House pretty intimately.
1: Well, because I did seven state dinners. And by the way, every time I did one, I never wanted it to be the same, nor did the First Lady. So, I mean, I was at the service of the First Lady. It was always like, how can we do it a little bit different? Because people who go to state dinners... They work in the administration. So think about that, the president's cabinet, the senators, some congressmen, uh, congresspeople, all the higher-ups in the State Department, ambassadors. They have been in the House several times, and I don't want to say that it became commonplace, but they went to the White House a lot. So the idea was, how can we celebrate this country in a unique way, express our gratitude to this great relationship that we have with, whether it's the UK or South Korea or China, But all eyes usually were on, if a country had had a state dinner under another president, they would say, oh, well, George Bush did X, Mm -hmm. or Ronald Reagan did X. And so they would be like, well, what are we gonna do? And it wasn't like a bigger, better. It was just a little bit more of- Different. We want it to be different. We don't want it to be the same. Me, that made it, that makes it thoughtful, right? So that's the same idea of like, every time you go into this Four Seasons Ballroom in New York, if it were always the same, People wouldn't dig that. They want something that's their own. So it was, it was very similar. I
0: have another question about right. that. But I'm a big movie guy. So <laughs> the movie Meet Joe
1: Black with
0: Brad Pitt. Well, all
1: right. So I figured you were going to say, Brian, what's your favorite movie? In a, in a, what favorite party in a movie? My favorite party in a movie is Meet Joe Black. <laughs> right? Oh, i so I glad. love that. I love that party scene. Hey, hang on. Bro. My, my dog is squeaking a toy. Go ahead. <laughs> And I want to show you what it is. <laughs> so he's he's upset with me because I'm working late. But this is the toy. Oh, that's a sterile. <laughs> so anyway, for those listening, it's Donald Trump uh- <laughs> <laughs> with yellow hair. With
0: yellow hair. Seventy thousand dollars worth.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, yeah. I know hair and makeup, right? Like, we, yeah, that's a lot of money. $70,000, I
0: literally swear to God, I was trying to fall asleep the other night, and that number just stuck in my head. Oh. And I said, that's $200 a day,
1: seven days a week.
0: Just your hair, not makeup, not clothes, not,
1: and, and, and I mean. <laughs>
0: it's an absurd kind of number. funny,
1: right, because I, I, you know, I was watching him, I guess, yesterday during the press conference, and I was staring at his hair, and I'm like, what the hell they do? And, and, and in fact, I actually, it's an even playing field. Like, when you think about what Hillary had to go through during the presidential campaign to have her hair blown out and the makeup, and, I mean, to be camera-ready for classically for a woman, it is not the same for a man, Um, but...
0: No, it is definitely not.
1: We digress.
0: (laughs) No, but seriously, but a man rolls out of bed, you know, combs his hair, takes a shower, (laughs) shaves. Pretty much. But here was the question, musical question. In that scene to Meet Joe Black, I think they're playing a song from uh, Carousel, maybe. I have dreamed in your eyes on the... Um, oh, it's called I Have Dreamed. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so I guess my big question is, music at events like this, like at Chelsea's wedding or at Alison Williams' wedding, or if there's dancing at state dinners, is it always that kind of... Like the music could be the same if you saw a Frank Capra movie made in the 30s.
1: Look, that, that depends on the client. So I can tell you, certainly in the White House, because the Marine Corps band is playing, you're getting classic music. That's basically what you're getting.
0: Um, oh, is that right? That's what's playing the Marine Corps band?
1: <laughs> so they're, they're always playing inside the house. And then if we go out to the tents, so we're using them. And again, there isn't dancing or there was not dancing. You know, Chelsea's wedding was really, uh, you know, we had a, a giant, I think it was 25-piece orchestra on purpose right it it was much like meet joe black because we had strings and horns and like that's all based on a client's taste Uh, certainly alison williams wedding was different and i think it was a seven piece band a party band but i have plenty of clients who want 25 pieces of rip-roaring fun right and three costume changes and (laughs) when you know they, they want to close their eyes and hear frank sinatra they want those sound alike voices which i think it can be really fun.
0: In the early 90s, it was like every band in New York had a Sinatra sounded
1: like. Right. If I've always thought about this in the sense that if, if it really turns on a client to hear a young, beautiful woman sound exactly like Aretha Franklin, um, then that's what they should have. And, and, you can, and, you can, and you can buy that, right? And then there are other clients who are like, no, no, you don't have to cover it, but I want this song, right? I want Purple Rain but. You don't have to cover it.
0: No, but it should be in the feeling of the way Prince did it.
1: Yeah,
0: sure. Uh, that's literally why I have people sending me YouTubes of the, the precise version.
1: I, I, I think it's interesting that you do that.
0: Because they may be thinking of a different version than I'm right, thinking.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. What's your favorite? My favorite, all time, Meet Joe Black. But I love the Leonardo DiCaprio version of Great Gatsby and those, that party pool. I mean, yeah. That that that's like I had a fiftieth birthday party like that and, and that's what I wanted.
0: <laughs>
1: oh wow. No kidding. Not only to close my eyes, I wanted to open my eyes and see all that confetti flowing everywhere.
0: <laughs> what has been some of the what you would consider the highlights of your career that wouldn't necessarily have made the papers?
1: Well, uh, so so in my book there's the destination wedding that we did in Istanbul. Um, And that certainly was a highlight of my career to have a client come to me, American family, by the way, who came to me and said, my daughter wants to get married in Istanbul. Do you think you can do that? And I was like, of course I can do that. Now, the reason i was so cocky about answering like that, you know, I had made a career on doing things, A, different, often being jetted off to Aspen or Napa or London or, because that's my clients, much like their lawyer or their architect, I always say this is like, they had a trusted relationship with me, so they're like we want to bring you along. We want you to do this. We want we want a beautiful American wedding in Istanbul and we believe you can make that happen for us.
0: Oh, they wanted an American
1: wedding. Yes. So so basically they were very aware of of a classic Turkish wedding in Istanbul and and the weddings in Istanbul are insane. And really very opulent and over the top. But they wanted the style and sophistication of, of their family projected onto a wedding on the Bosphorus at the Chiron Palace or in the Old City. We did one night in a cistern. We did five different parties. And I mean, that was like a, that was certainly a game changer for me because I was like, oh, wow, this is one of the choices. Like <laughs> 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 I went to Istanbul 11 times. I mean, I really embedded myself into the society to try to figure out how we could do things really well there and but even so, you know, we were in Europe, right? Istanbul's a European city. So, yeah. you know, our orchestra came from Paris. Our, our caterer came from Paris, in fact. Anyway, we, we just drew the best of the best that we could find in Europe and brought it into Istanbul, much like you would do with a, a destination event. We did a 40th birthday party many, many years ago, probably 15 years ago in Aspen, and we brought the caterer in from L.A. Why? Because our client didn't want to use a local caterer. They wanted to do something different and they didn't trust the caterers in Denver. Not that there's anything wrong with the caterers in Denver, but we want LA. I'm trying to remember the name of the famous chef that we brought in.
0: Like a Wolfgang Puck. Something like
1: that. I was Patina. Patina. Anyway, I'm all in. What I love about destination events, birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, is that you're transporting a group of people, they're all yours for a weekend right? They're not scattered all over New York City or LA, or they can't like leave or bring their kid to soccer. Like uh, they, right. you own them for a weekend. And then you have three or four experiences. So you can't say you didn't talk to everybody. You probably talked to everybody three times and you had really intimate exchanges. I mean, I can't say enough about this. Oh, so
0: by the time the party comes.
1: Night, coming together, right? So they are for the family dinner on Thursday night, The welcome dinner on Friday night, the game day on Saturday, the ceremony and wedding on Saturday night, the brunch on Sunday. I mean, you definitely make friends (laughs) or you're going to go crazy, right?
0: All right. So it's not a destination party. It's a destination four-day extravaganza. It's four parties.
1: I mean, I think that if you look at the average American family right now, because I find it fascinating and I say it when I'm speaking to my industry and we talk about how much money does a wedding cost and all those kinds of things, I'm like, hey, just a wedding you know, a ceremony in a church followed by a reception, seated dinner, you know, that's X. So in the knots, like $20,000 is the average spend for, you know, an American family. I'm like, well, that's for one event. But if you add on all these other events, you got to be pretty clear about that, right? It it is four separate parties with 200 people at every party. That's like four weddings, right?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm asking, yeah.
1: be smart about it, or the father of the bride's going to not understand why it costs so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, right so it's not five thousand dollars a person you know it's actually five events <laughs> so maybe it's a thousand dollars a person for five events right we're going down a rabbit hole but that's how no, we- but,
0: but i understand yeah. what you're saying you say when when people say oh yeah a wedding should cost twenty thousand dollars it's like
1: well the trend of like having an after party well an after party is another party
0: no but forgetting about that i'm just talking about the four hours of the party or the six hours of oh, yeah. like, name me a party in new york or boston or any city in new york where that party's going to cost $20,000. The band's going to charge 10 to 15.
1: The good thing that came out of the pandemic is these mini weddings for the father of the bride with 50 people, right? That virtually costs nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like, and it's hard to spend $20,000, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the
0: only good thing. But yeah, I hate when people say, "Oh yeah, we read that the whole party should cost x amount of money." i was like, "Oh, well, Read another magazine. (laughs) Get town and country.
1: I always scratch my head when brides are not. I love them. But when they they quote that number, I'm like, oh, my God. Your listeners, there's plenty of people out there getting married and spending $25,000 on a wedding. I get it.
0: You know, it's funny going back to the White House. One of my favorite people I had on the podcast was Sylvia Weinstock.
1: I love Sylvia. Yeah, I am not a legend, she is a legend. <laughs> My favorite Sylvia Weinstock story, early getting into the business, I was sitting there with the mother of the bride and the bride and myself and Sylvia, and we're talking. They designed this five story cake. It's like so gorgeous and extravagant. <laughs> and then the mother of the bride says, so uh, Sylvia, like, how, how are we going to transport this? And she's like, oh darling, you're just gonna put it on your plane. <laughs> yeah. Literally the mother of the bride was like, oh, okay. Um, and so they like flew a cake out private, right? And like it just rolled off Sylvia's tongue. Goes, of course, everybody does that, right? And actually, Sylvia, she used to like love like Delta Airlines because they always, you know, treated the cakes well.
0: Um, That's what she said. She went into different yeah. airlines. You know, she says, You got to remember, I have people going to Kennedy Airport at 5 30 in the morning. Yeah, exactly. So it used to be me.
1: Yeah. old days your cakes flew commercial, not anymore. <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly. You've been interviewed a million times. What haven't people asked you that you've wanted to say? I learned something amazing that it was the, that it's the Marine Corps band playing
1: and, and extraordinary Those young faces. I, I made me very proud, a different view of the military. It's, it's, it's pretty special. Pretty cool to be president, right? You get your own helicopter, your own plane, your own house, your own camp, your own band, your own song.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, First Lady's book, she said, the one thing that they don't tell you is that it's incredibly intrusive on your normal life. There's a balcony in the residence, and all I want to go out is like with a cup of tea and read a book. And they said, oh, no, you can't go out there. It's like there's there's no protecting you. She kind of brings you inside. How do I raise two girls normally where they have Secret Service around them for a lifetime? And you get inside that.
1: I think at the end of the day, though, I think they did it very well watching them. And I think that I know that the Clintons have done it very well. They learned to just be themselves, live their life and trust the people around them. And so then, therefore, they could move through the house and they could do what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. And, you know, there's two parts of that house. There's the public floors and then there's the private floors. And so, you know, they learn to live that way. But that's how all presidents are living now. Our Supreme Court justices are, many of our senators are. That's just a way of life and they have to normalize everything. Everything has to be normal. And I think that's the key, quite honestly, you know, sort of the secret sauce of the people that I've served is that I treat them like everybody else. There you go. I respect them for what they are, you know, who they are, what they've accomplished. But at the end of the day, they're just like me and you, and they crave actually normalcy. They don't crave somebody blowing smoke up their ass every 10 seconds, right? Uh, and nobody wants that, but they do want respect. And so that's, that perfect combination is what you can make you successful with people who are successful. I, I really believe that. And, and therefore, I reveal who I am, right? And, and so then they're like, oh, either they like that or they don't. But that's just like, you know, you and I today, or, you know, people listening to this. Much as you can be yourself, that's the that's the trick.
0: So you have an office in Boston and an office in Manhattan, right?
1: Yeah, I do.
0: I think you're the only person that I've had on that that has that.
1: You know, I started my business here, and then you know when opportunity rang.
0: You say here you're in Boston.
1: I'm in Boston right now, but I started it okay. my company in Boston. But you know when I started doing projects with New York clients, so this is my pro tip for everybody. You know your best customer is sitting in the room in my opinion right so 300 people at a beautiful wedding that's well run and, and it's uniquely that families and everybody feels great and they walk away from the wedding saying my god that was like the best wedding i ever went to and and so who did this you know if you say to the mother of the bride the father of the bride wow this was amazing congratulations they're like oh we we hired this guy right <laughs> and i haven't got <laughs> that guy so that propelled me into other places so that's how i ended up in aspen or la or napa or whatever but new york obviously being the center of the universe was you know i did a wedding 13 of the bridesmaids were from new york city and everybody thought i was a new york party planner and i didn't say yes or no when they were like oh hey you know (laughs) like so it, it suddenly I was like, oh, I'm onto something. Look, you know, now.
0: It also doesn't hurt that you have absolutely no regional accent.
1: Well, that is true. And by the way, I grew up in Rhode Island, right? <laughs> so with all due respect to my fellow family and Rhode Islanders, I don't know really how that happened, but I, I did not pick up on that fantastic accent.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is a great accent. Oh, my
1: God. Spending time recently with my family in Rhode Island because of the pandemic, I really get a chuckle out of it. I'm like, wow. Like I'm one of five. I mean, two of us do have no accent and three of us do. And it's wicked crazy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wicked is such a Boston word. You have great hair. Did you have silver hair early? Because you have great full head of hair. Silver, which is great. Very sophisticated. Look. Thank
1: you. It's all genetics. It's my dad. So my dad went gray at 28. So basically my whole lifetime knowing my father, he had salt and pepper hair. And then he had a little more salt and then he had silver and then he had white. And so I was staring in the mirror all the time. Like I literally feel that way when I look in the mirror, I see my father, right? Because we both look alike, but we certainly have the same color hair. I probably started to get gray in my twenties, but it never, it went full force in my forties. And even now looking in this camera right now, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so white. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah.
0: <laughs> what the no, but from my
1: perspective, I'm literally seeing the fact
0: that it's a full head of hair. That's the point.
1: That's thanks to my grandfather and my mother's side. (laughs) (laughs) Plenty of beautiful, sexy men without hair. So, my brother, by the way, my uh, second brother lost his hair in his 20s. And my oldest brother started to lose his hair in his 50s. I was always like, well, if this happens, I'm going to rock and bald head. So, I'm not going to worry about it. I'll pivot. (laughs)
0: Um, What was the thing you did in Fenway? That looked unbelievable.
1: I've done a lot of work for the Red Sox. So, the owner of the Red Sox, John Henry, I did his wedding to his wife, Linda Pizzuti, managing director of the Boston Globe. Oh, wow. I did their wedding at Fenway. And um, they actually got married, small ceremony, but ended up having this amazing 600 person seated dinner in a glass tent on the outfield of Fenway Bar. A glass um, tent. So, you like everywhere you looked, you just looked across the field. So, you were looking back to home plate. Oh, that's great. Awesome. And then as a surprise to Linda, a couple of weeks before I went to John and said, what do you think about fireworks? And so we shot fireworks over all of the executive suites of Fenway. Oh my God. You know, all the guests came outside and Linda, who's an you know, amazing, amazing business person and, and very A-type person was like, what's going on? <laughs> like we get out and all of a sudden these fireworks go off. It was, it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary.
0: The, the, the thing that fascinates me more than anything is when you say we had a glass tent. That's in itself absurd. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. <laughs> I mean, but who would think of that?
1: Well, more absurd, Doug, back then, ten years ago, than it is now. Interestingly enough, I, I was doing a side visit over the weekend and we're doing a, a very small wedding and I was surprised we could get a glass tent for this small wedding because generally they're very big tents. You know, the, the glass sides are 13 feet high. That's what's so amazing about that.
0: Yeah, I can't I can um, so even yeah. picture a glass tent.
1: And, and by the way, the, in that category, I'm not going to go on about it. I probably six months ago saw sort of the future of tents of these beautiful greenhouse tents. They're all coming out of Europe, but, but the suppliers are starting or having intended an opening in the Hamptons this summer. Hopefully they'll do it next summer. But the tents are changing dramatically because I'm in the business of building tents all the time and making tents not look like tents, right? So, and it's not really fair to call it a tent. It is a structure, right? It's it's not going to go anywhere in a hurricane. right? Um, in, in my book, I have a, a wedding that we did on a barge, right? So we built a barge because a client wanted to be on the water and there was no place acceptable to be on the water. So we built a barge, but we literally built this glass tent And then we skimmed off the whole interior. You would never know. If you looked at those images, you would just think it was just a beautiful, luxurious ballroom somewhere, right? But when you turn the page, you see that it's a barge with a tent on it.
0: Holy cow, that's crazy.
1: I love that project. I mean, nothing makes me happier. So maybe I should have been a builder.
0: By the way, Amazon was sold out of your book.
1: I'm on the third printing. And I started to panic because I thought I had 200 books in my warehouse and I don't. And I reached out to Rizzoli and said, I need another 200 books. And they're like, we have to check on that. So I'm hoping I can go into for printing. <laughs> I was laughing because on your website, it
0: says weddings, nonprofits, corporate branding and marketing and private events. So mm-hmm. I was saying, all right, if it's private, what pictures is he going to show? So when I clicked on it, there's only one picture and it looks like it's in a symphonic hall. There's this is phenomenal picture.
1: Looking down, yeah.
0: Looking down. What was that?
1: It was actually at the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum, if, if this is the image I'm thinking of. Just recently, Lorenzo Piana, uh, Renzo Piana rather, designed this new wing, but they built a music hall. Um, and, you know, music halls really aren't being built these days, but right, it's actually four stories in the balcony. There's three balconies that look down. It's perfectly acoustically like perfect. There's probably a better language for that. Yeah. And our client was mad about great music, and so that we ended up bringing all these sort of prodigies from this organization called From the Top. So they, they actually bring up these amazing young people who need the funding to be great. And so they, we did a dinner slash concert in that space. So, you know, in the private category, I always joke about this, but it's like, of course, it's birthdays and anniversaries, but then it's parties for party's sake. And I can't wait for 2021 um, or twenty three That's
0: what I keep thinking. Thank you for saying that.
1: I mean, all my clients are just, I have a, a series of clients who are like, when we come back and we can safely gather and throw a real party. You know, they want to celebrate all of the things they couldn't celebrate in 20, right? So that could be everything from their kid graduating from Harvard to their 25th wedding anniversary to a big birthday or for just getting out of this godforsaken pandemic. Yeah. Because we want to gather. It's inherent in our nature as human beings, right? To come together.
0: Yeah. Seriously, I love events. I really do. It's never anybody's first choice. So, you know, you come in and you say, okay, so how can I do this and do it? extraordinarily well.
1: Like what I've learned over time, and when I'm speaking in front of large groups of event planners or wedding planners from around the world, I'll say, you know, what I have to say today, or what Raffinelli looks like, whether it's two offices and 50 employees and hundred events a year. And that is what I chose to do, right? That's not what everyone should do because they might not want that at all. Most people don't, right? They want to do good work. They want to be well respected and they want to hopefully make enough money to live a good life and that's what they want and that's great i think it's awesome and sometimes i think i'm my own worst enemy because i want to produce extraordinary all the time
0: oh, so you keep raising and, your own bar
1: you know, right so i'm my you know my own worst enemy you know i'm only as good as my last event in my mind you know those are all true things and would it be easier if i guess did solid work all the time that was admired and and that's okay, too. That's great. So we all have choices to make. I'm happy with what I've done. And I, especially now after the pandemic, I'm like, I want to do more. And I mean, I will never complain about putting on a black tie again. I will go to every party I possibly can go to. <laughs> like that's I, exactly I, how I feel. want more. I'm not, you know, I've learned a lot over the pandemic. What I have learned is I love what I do. So like,
0: you're in Boston proper?
1: I'm actually in the South End which is right next to the back bay, right in the center of the city. Yeah. I'm praying that this city will <laughs> stay strong. And in New York, I'm in the West Village, great place there. So,
0: so how do you spread your time?
1: Uh, 50-50, every two weeks I'm in a different city. Um, at least that was happening before March.
0: Back when I was a kid, we used to take the Delta shuttle. Does that still yeah. exist?
1: Well, they don't really call it the shuttle anymore. And it's not every hour and you can't just jump on one shuttle to the next shuttle If you miss the first one. It doesn't work that way anymore, unfortunately. I've been driving them so much during the pandemic to site visits. I was just in New York and um, and I'm going back actually on Friday. Um, that I'm like, my God, because I never used to drive. It. I would always fly. But now I'm like, oh, this is easy. and I can get yeah, up. Yeah, it's
0: not a horrible drive.
1: Oh, no, 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 Especially right now. It's under three hours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one. No one's going anywhere. <laughs> no one's going
1: anywhere. Exactly.
0: The fascinating thing to me is that you've built – this huge company for for our industry. I mean, I don't know if anyone else that has 50 employees.
1: Yeah. Based on the combination uh, of events that we do, the private, corporate, nonprofit, yes. You know, there are monster companies out there that have 300 employees, but they're, they're, they're exclusively corporate, you know, driven, giant event companies. And I, I highly respect that product, but that, you know, I think in my category, there's only probably about five of us that are doing it. And, and by the way, again, you know, when I go to these conferences, folks don't want companies this size. They don't want the burden. They don't want the expense. You know, they're happy doing five events a year. And and I've I've certainly, in my most stressful days, I've been like, I could if I did, you know, finally did five major events a year, could I make the same amount of money? No, I could not. And and I don't want that. But I really admire people who do it. And there's obviously hundreds, if not thousands, of people that have. These small, amazing companies, more power to them. I just chose to get bigger um, all the time. It was really something that I strive.
0: for. And anyone who's run a business, including me, is that you have to have people that you trust implicitly.
1: My highest compliment is when the client stops taking my calls because they're taking my producer's calls. Or I walk into a room, I love this, I walk into a room to say hello to a client and they get nervous, right? Because they think that something's wrong. (laughs) They're completely happy with their team. I'm certainly involved in 65% of our projects all the time. So I understand what's going on. I sit at my events. My clients are always inviting me to sit at events so I understand, I can see it in real time, what's happening. I mean, so that that's all great. But this idea that I could replicate this and not have to be in every single room 100 times a year, that was amazing. I mean, I, we did it. We pulled it That is interesting.
0: Around. I never thought about that. So you're invited as a guest. Oh yeah, I did choose the right band. I really did choose the right, th- this glass tent works.
1: Or too wow, loud, the room's too cold, the service isn't coming out fast enough. I literally will have to say to my dinner guests, please excuse me if I'm texting during dinner, but it's usually because I'm sending a message. Or the dinner guests will look over at me and say, hey Brian, can you <laughs> yeah. have to turn the music down a <laughs> little? Oh, so you never like, actually just become my, a guest. No. Well, uh, look, I have had plenty of experiences where I kind of got lost in the party like everybody else and had an amazing time and kind of forgot. And it's because the party was running perfectly, right, or or as close to perfect as possible. But I have a whole system of like I always have my assistant with me so that I can see see her across the room, and if I look at her, she comes over so I can say politely and quietly, "Hey, we need to, you know, tell the waiters to slow down or it's time to kick up the music or whatever." I mean, I, I. I can do that as a guest, right? You can do it in the corner of the room but I'm telling no, you No, of what I'm
0: course, cuz I'm always on the bandstand. So I'm anticipating right. what people are thinking. So to me, slow service is a killer food service.
1: Well, slow service unless you want it, like you want a beautiful 90-minute dinner with background music. You want this grand dinner, you want five courses, I'm all in, right? But if you are if like I want to go Like, we have to go, we have to go, we have to go. Like, if you're that kind of person and you want that kind of party, that's, you you really have to move. And you want to be the best and you want people to have dinner, you know, you don't want pulling the plates away from them, but that you have to, that is precision timing.
0: I'm at every party I do. I play the keyboards and I lead the band. So if someone's, you know, table A, I see that they've been served, they've eaten already and two thirds of the room hasn't even been served yet. I was like, holy shit, for, this is going to be forever for these people right here.
1: Well, you need two kitchens, Doug, so they can come from both sides. <laughs> and when you build a tent, you can do that. And Unfortunately, in a hotel ballroom, you can't have two kitchens. But when we do these you know, massive build-outs of 400 people, 500 people, we build at least two kitchens, sometimes three, and have them come from different parts of the room so that everything can come out and everything can go away. You know that, That's ideal.
0: There you know, thousands of things that go into a party. Like how many people were employed to make a glass tent?
1: Well, I always say if you're going to get married at home and we build a full floor and glass tent and when you see the number of what it costs to do that, you, you just, you're, you're like, come on, you know, I'm going to buy my daughter a condo. I'm going to like, no. But when you live it, when they see these amazing workers come in and, and spend 10 days building this structure, you know, by the 10th day, you totally understand. You accept how much it costs. In fact, you think it, it should, they should have charged more because it's so complicated um, and, and there's such precision behind it. And then it goes out in two days, three days. It's, 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 it's such a great thing for a client to see.
0: And the minute it's over, it's over.
1: Yeah.
0: I remember saying to Sylvia like I said, you know, you make these magnificent pieces of art and it's destroyed when people eat it. So she says, yes, that's the best compliment I get. The best compliment I get is when people come back to it for seconds, like every part of my cake is edible. So the more of the cake that's gone, the best compliment. She was the one who told me about the White House. And she says, Doug, I got to get you into the White House. This was two years ago. She says, wait a couple of years because I refuse to go in now. But where was that picture of, of yeah. you and Kamala? If I could just be a little political for a second.
1: Oh, and that was actually here in Boston where I am tonight at the Four Seasons Hotel. So I, I did a little speed dating, <laughs> speed um, I call it, before I been on a presidential candidate. So I had coffee with Kamala. And in fact, I did it because a friend of mine, a political consultant, asked me if I would have coffee with her. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I like her. An hour and 15 minutes later, I mean, I was madly in love. I ended up supporting Pete Edge in the primary, but I highly respect her. She's a fantastic person. She will make a great vice president.
0: Sylvia, too. On the podcast, she even says to me, yeah. and we talked about this, because she loved me at Pete. And she said, I would, I would have a, a what do they call a fundraiser here in my home. For, for Mayor Pete. And I said, mm-hmm. well, put me down as the entertainment because I'll do it. I'm here. So she says, okay, who do we have to talk to? <laughs>
1: you
0: know, I, like, <laughs> I thought you were the one who was going to
1: well, talk to well, me. He will run again. And Trump will run again. Um, there'll be plenty of opportunity, yeah, yeah. though. Yeah, young you. guy.
0: Young guy. <laughs> um, so do you ever think of running for office? No. No. It'd be such a step yeah. down.
1: <laughs> a different life. I was a political science major in school. I certainly love politics and. I love trying to make the world a better place. And so I'm very devoted to, you know, both local and and federal level elections, you know, because it's uh, the most powerful thing we can do as a group of people is to come together and find good people to run our country and not be so cynical that they're all crooks and con men, because they're not. Um, They're great people out there at all levels. So I want to be a part of that. Even with what's happened with being so polarized, I still believe in it. I still believe that we'll get through this and we will have another president that will bring our country together. It, it might take three or four presidents, but it will happen. We're a young democracy.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I was always fascinated by politics myself. You know, when you go back in years, you know, you think of what could be com- comparable to 2020 and I'll say 1968.
1: Yeah, 1968.
0: Bobby Kennedy, uh, Martin Luther King, rioting at the Chicago convention. That must have seemed like the world was going to end
1: for my clients that are in their 80s and 90s as horrified as they are about what's going on for their grandchildren great-grandchildren they've had lived it so i often think well, when i get really frustrated i'll call up one of my first clients who invite and, and, and introduce me to the clintons I mean, she's 87 you know and she'll be like well they will be fine and i'm like okay because we've lived this long life and seen wars and conflict and 9-11 and I mean, whatever. I, I, I really yeah, believe. Yeah, I think it's very cyclical. Not discount that it's not a tricky time that we're in trouble because we are.
0: It'd be nice if we had a president that acknowledged that we still have a raging pandemic. And Boston was one of the first hotspots, right?
1: Well, yeah, we had a Biogen conference here, very small conference, by the way, but the infection rate was through the roof. It's really why Boston became a hotspot. I think if that conference had not happened, we would have closed down. We have a very conservative governor, very smart governor. And so we've done very well. But to think that this one event ended up having so many people suffer and die.
0: So that was the ultimate super spreader.
1: Honestly, it could have been Ten times worse in some ways, and and clearly we could have done a better job as a country to shut down. But um,
0: it's just I, amazing when you see guys like Fauci holding an like an M ninety N ninety five. Yeah, N ninety five. Yeah, it's ridiculous that this country, you know, like in nineteen forty five, they said to General Motors, "Well, you're not making cars this year; you're making tanks." Okay, so that that's that's presidential power. This uh, doctor was on saying, "You know, I usually don't get mad about this kind of stuff, but." I don't understand why we cannot mass produce these things and every person in America have an N95 mask for a buck. You know, everyone should have it and wear it for six weeks. Right. And how could something like that be politicized?
1: Because <laughs> yeah. So actually Pete is just rolling out a book called trust. And I do think this does come down to trust, right? So do you trust that that story is true? And if you do, then you're afraid to gather and we're in the gathering business. And right. that is what scares me the most of this idea that even with all the testing in the world, mm-hmm. and a vaccine, and a short-term treatment, and rapid tests, and a saliva test, so I do think that's the perfect storm if all those things, things come together. We will come together in a year from now, but that's a long time away. And it's all based on trust. That's a fact. You know, if you trust that this can work and that if we do X, then we will be okay and we'll be safe, great. And I hope that happens, but a sense of trust and believe that what people are telling you to do, that are scientists, you should do it. And what's the worst thing that could happen? That everybody has to take a test, everybody has to wear a mask,
0: but what do you do when you have a president that says you don't have to wear masks, and in the middle of the pandemic, come see me at this? At this,
1: you vote and you get the fucker out. Thank you, thank <laughs> you, thank you. Say I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I, we have to end it on that. That's perfect.
0: Yeah, this is fascinating. I think we could talk all day. Brian Raffinelli, this has been absolutely a pleasure.
1: Thank you. Have to do we open up.
0: Absolutely. Have a great night. This is the night of the, the, the first,
1: first date, so I'm going to to do some food prep so I can sit in front of the TV for nine minutes.
0: Are you going to watch or we just, okay, uh, yes. I, I don't know if I can. Yeah, I'm
1: watching, probably with two glasses of wine in, but I'm going to yeah, watch it. Yeah, I think
0: you're going to have to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Brian Raffinelli. You're the best.
1: Well, okay. Take okay. Care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Doug.
0: I told you the guy was amazing. You can find Brian on Instagram at Brian Raffinelli. That's B-R-Y a n raffinelli and you could find me as always at doug winters inc on instagram hit me up and let me know who you'd like to have on as future guests stay strong stay safe listen to the scientists and please wear masks and don't forget to vote on november 3rd or before that thanks again to brian and i will see you next time Bye-bye now.